Well, I invite you to turn with me. Uh, I know we've been journeying. We will continue to journey through Matthew, but we're going to take a little detour, and I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1 this morning. Um, in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you, or, and uh, if you need that, feel free to take it. I, I will offer that to you. Uh, if you have a phone and you have the app, uh, feel free to do that in the Bible app as well, and their notes are all in there. You um, invite you to be a part of that. Um, one thing, and, and I, I realized this this week, um, we moved in five years ago today. But one thing I had no idea would involve in that five years would that I would be walking around in the cold at 30, 30 degrees trying to shoot ducks. <laughs> Never in my worldest, wildest dreams would I be thinking I would be hunting. I definitely haven't been doing it for long. I'm starting to almost kind of figure it out. Um, I've still got a lot to learn. But what, yes, Calder, I recognize the blessing of, of meeting you in these last five years. Um, one of the things that's the uh, basic rule of hunting that I'm coming to deeper understand more and more, and they don't tell you this when you're starting. Maybe, maybe it's in the reg somewhere that I missed. Um, but here, here it is. This is really, really profound. And I, and I can tell some of you are really waiting to hear what it is. You have to know what you're hunting for. <laughs> Think about that. You have to know what you're hunting for. And similarly, similarly in life, we're all looking, we're all hunting for different things. And the reality is that some do not know what they are looking for, what they are seeking, what they are hunting for. So they keep walking around, they keep experimenting with different things, trying to figure it all out by trial and error. And we might try something and we go, nope, that ain't it. Sometimes it's, well, maybe this is kind of where I, I think it's supposed to be. And, and other times, uh, we were like, wow, absolutely. But the reality is that when we know what we're looking for, it changes how we approach what we do and where we go. Last Sunday, we ventured into Matthew chapter 2, and we were looking at the story of, of Matthew's telling of the baptism of Jesus. And today, we're going, as I said, we're going to venture uh, into John that kind of parallels that part, but we're going to look into the next day according to John. As uh, we read... We can assume that John the Baptist somehow in the midst of where he, he is at at that moment. Um, we know he's down in Judea because that was the day before. And, and he's, he's down there and he's been baptized and he's in his area. And he sees Jesus walking down the road or at least along the river. 
And we don't know, he points out, other than he just says he points out Jesus to someone that's with him. We don't know who it is. Could have been his disciples. It could have been one of the people coming to hear John. And uh, it could have been just a casual encounter. John might have said, you know, uh, hey, look, here's that guy I was telling you about. And followers that were there or whoever was there might have glanced up from their phones and went, uh, and, and kind of gone back to whatever it was they were doing, you know, playing solitaire or, or uh, you know, Facebook on their phones or who, who knows. But it could have happened like that, and yet it didn't. What it does tell us in John chapter 1, starting with verse 29, is that we can see an important pattern that quickly develops within the story of Jesus. And the pattern will play out time and time again throughout the story of Jesus' ministry. And it goes like this. First, John the Baptist sees Jesus. Second, he shows Jesus to others that are with him. Then he shares his experience that he had with Jesus. The pattern gets repeated the next day. And that's when Andrew and another disciple see who John's talking about. They see Jesus and they choose to follow Jesus and encounter him. And the, first, the next thing you know, Andrew is saying, he's pointing out it to his brother, uh, Simon, and shares si- with Simon his own experience of Jesus. That's the, the short version of the story. But we see this pattern of see, show, and share. This is the essence of evangelism. We, we see that what God is doing around us, we point it out to others, and we share what we know and invite others to do the same. That's, that's it. There's, there's no guilt, there's no manipulation, there's no pushiness of things. We just show what we knew, know to be true, and, and we tell the story. So John sees Jesus, and, and it says that he openly declares, here comes the Lamb of God. The one who takes away the sin of the entire world. And this is quite the statement. I mean, it's, it's recognizing what many don't see when they just see the person of Jesus. That God is, is, is here in the flesh and John has experienced something his disciples apparently had missed. And he's eager to tell them about it. But he also wanted them to see it for themselves. So John continues in his testimony of what he saw and he declares, I saw the Spirit of God come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And then he goes on to declare, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Two huge terms and titles that he uses, Lamb of God and Son of God. He sees 
the Spirit rest on Jesus with his own eyes. He recognizes that Jesus is the one that he has been called to, to announce, that he's been waiting for, the one he'd been looking for. Now think back to a couple weeks ago, the birth story of Jesus as we read in Matthew of how the Magi came from the east. The thing is, it's easy for us to miss this point and we can't overlook that they saw the star because they had been looking for it. Last week, we looked at Jesus' baptism and, and Matthew points out because he'd been looking for it the promises that this baptism represented for not just Jesus, but for us as we receive Jesus. And those promises are a good reminder for us to actively seek God's kingdom each day because in order for us to see God among us, we have to be looking for God at work in our lives. Verse 35 of John chapter 1. The next day it happens again. This time it says that John is with two of his disciples. We know who at least one of those are. He declares, look, the Lamb of God. This time though, the two disciples don't just say, oh. Whoever's there just doesn't acknowledge and go back to their own thing. This time it says that the two disciples of John went after Jesus. It says that they saw Jesus uh, and, and, and they start going after him and that Jesus sees them following him and he turns around and asks a question. What do you want? Now, as a parent, I've said this many a time. Well, what is it you want? As a youth pastor, you know, people trying to get my attention, what do you want? And, it, and it's, it's, Josh is really nodding his head on that one. It, it's, it's a question that we all ask at one point or another. Other translations say, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you after? It's a simple question, but it's a really profound question. In John's gospel, these are the very first words of Jesus. What do you want? And for John, Jesus' ministry doesn't begin with this mighty command to, to silence a demon as Mark shares. It doesn't start with a sermon to the crowds who have gathered on a mountain like Matthew. Um, like, uh, Matthew. And it doesn't begin with Jesus preaching a quotation from Isaiah to proclaim anointing of the year of God's favor as Luke. Instead, we get a question. What do you want? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you need? It's a question worth wrestling with. As individuals, we need to wrestle with it. 
As a congregation, we need to wrestle with it. As, as a community, we need to wrestle with it because our answers will have a great deal to do with what we find as well as with the journey that we will be on to get there. What are you seeking? What is it you're looking for? What motivates you? What is it that you really need, not just on the surface level, but deep down in the core of who you are? What are you looking for? And before the story moves very far in John, we'll find out that others are looking for Jesus, but for very, very different reasons. But these two disciples... Andrew, and who we could guess is probably John, you know, that, that are following for their part. They want something different than either the crowds or the authorities wanted. They just simply want to be with Jesus. When Jesus asks them, what is it you want? They, they don't give him a pitch or, or thoroughly prepared mission statement. They don't look to debate him. They, they don't ask him to, uh, much or anything, but they know what they're looking for. And so when they come face to face with Jesus, they, they suddenly realize that the thing that they've been seeking all this time is standing right in front of them. And they respond with a question of their own. Rabbi, our third title. Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, this means more than, hey, can, can you send me your address? This word staying is, is, is kind of muted in, in our reading in, in English. The, this word that is used for staying is a word that's used throughout John's gospel. It's a key word throughout John's gospel. It's this Greek verb, meno, which can be translated abide, remain, endure, continue, dwell, in the sense of permanence and stability. Earlier in verse 32, John uses this, John the Baptist uses this word, this very same word, when he recognizes Jesus and states that the Holy Spirit remained on him, dwelt on him, came upon him. The deeper question that they are asking when they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Is this, it's teacher, What's it like to abide with you? What is, is there room for me in your life? Can we come live where you live? Will you teach us? Because we are, what we're looking for is something that we can more than just take our time. It's something that we can devote our lives to. So, so Jesus, if you are who John said you were, if you are truly the Lamb of God, if you are truly the Son of God, Rabbi, 
I want to spend every possible moment in your presence, with you, learning from you. So where are you staying? Because I want to be there. And Jesus responds, come and see. His response is an invitation for them to immediately enter into his life. He opens his life to them with this understanding that they can choose to follow or not. He doesn't say come and stay, although that's implied. It's come and see. That there is an understanding that he is opening his life to them with the understanding that they may choose not to follow once they see the, the accommodations and they get a taste of what he's about. And, and they may not want to stay. But his invitation is open. It's there. Your choice. Come and see. Likewise to us this morning, Jesus is asking us the same question he asked them. What are you looking for? Are you ready to be my disciple? If, we're, if you're looking for comfort, security, some assurance that you're just going to get to be right when others are wrong, and you get to point that out. If you're looking for uh, any of those kind of things, well, you might be looking in the wrong direction if you just want to hold it over other people. Amen. But if you're looking, and if you're looking just for acceptance, affirmation of your life and your choices and those things just so other people can say that you're a good person. You might not be ready to really ask this question of Rabbi, where are you staying? You might not be really to answer this question of what do you want? But if you truly want to be with him day in and day out from this moment forward for all of eternity. If we want to recognize and we come to fully understand what it means that Jesus is the only way to know the fullness of God's love, then it makes sense for us, each and every one of us, to individually spend every moment in Christ's presence and to seek that out. We often talk about people inviting Jesus into their hearts or making Jesus a part of our lives. But what if we turn that around to better understand it that Jesus is welcoming us into his not just the other way around. That Jesus is inviting us in to come and see where he lives and to be a part of who he is. 
and offering us the opportunity to become a part of what he is called to do. His invitation is open, but it's up to us to follow. It's up to us to come and see. Each of us must decide if we can make that kind of deep commitment. And Jesus even warns us, this isn't for the faint of heart. A king, before he goes into battle, decides whether or not he can afford the loss that's going to happen. A person that's going to buy a field figures out whether they really want that field. Because it's a lifetime commitment. Not just to comfort, not just to a title of Christian. It is a lifetime commitment of my life is no longer my life. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I must adhere my life to his. What are you seeking after with your own heart? What is your soul's deepest longing? Are you really ready to be a part of Jesus' life so that you can find what you seek? Once you've found Christ, well then what? I mean, the disciples, they found Christ. He was pointed out to them. What's next? Because it's not enough for us to just see Jesus and to know he's just there. Part of his call to us and come and see is now for us to show him through our lives as he changes us, as he transforms our life from the inside out. That he calls us to share the good news and the difference it makes in our life. Notice it doesn't take long in this, this passage for Andrew, one of John's disciples, that has now become one of Jesus' disciples, to go looking for his brother, Simon, as we become to know him later as Peter to encounter Jesus himself. He wants to show him Jesus, to share with him what he's experienced. And so he takes this introduction, though, to a whole nother level. Remember, John said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. I'd seen him. The Spirit has come upon him. He is the Son of God. They go to him, Rabbi, teacher. And now Andrew goes to his brother and says, guess who I have found? I have found not just Lamb of God, not just Son of God, not just Rabbi, but Messiah. I have found the Savior that we've been looking for. Then they take him to meet Jesus. And it's one of those interesting stories that Jesus comes in and meets Simon and he gives him a new name, Peter. Other parts says, you know, I'm going to call you Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, a play upon his, his name. Jesus gives us each a new na- name upon our placing of our faith in him as well. 
Think about that name. At that time of confession that Jesus is Lord, we now get the name of Beloved. We take on the new name of Child of God. It's part, not just a name that we carry. It's part of our new identity. In John, 1 John chapter 3, we're reminded of that when it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. For that is what we are. And the reality is that when you are given this invitation to come and see, it's an invitation to live into your new identity as a follower of Jesus Christ in a very particular way. As you learn and you process and you work through what it really means to abide in him. But following Jesus wherever he goes, living in his midst is the only way you're ever going to find what you're really seeking, what you really need. Entering into a lifelong commitment to be a part of Christ's life is the only way that you will ever fulfill the deepest longing inside of you. It doesn't happen just saying, well, Jesus, I, I need to be, you, you can be my Lord and Savior. I'll call you that. It'll be a great title. I'll consider it. I'll mark it off my list. I'm good to go. And I go back to living the way I've always lived. Jesus is calling us to something different. So don't take it for granted when you d declare Jesus is Lord that it's calling you to something radically living differently than what you have been living up to this point. Entering into that lifetime commitment is the only way you're going to get what you're looking for. It's a longing that you might not even be fully aware how to name at this point. It's just there. You've been seeking. You've been seeking it in titles and jobs and money and possessions and relationships. And none of those things ever fulfill what you're looking for. And the reality is because it was never designed to be that way. Those were all supposed to be just part of the extra stuff of blessing of God when life is in true priority of following him first. That God created you to abide, to live into to have a deep connection with him because he created you so he could love you. And Jesus continues to ask us not only what do you want, but Jesus continues to put out the invitation, come and see. The Old Testament says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you want to know the Word made flesh, if, if you want to experience the God of the universe, the one and true God, come and see Jesus, God incarnate, God the word made flesh. 
If you want to know what real love is like, come and see Jesus. If you want to experience God's glory, to be filled with the bread that never perishes, to quench your thirst with the living water that never goes goes dry, to be born again, to abide in his love, to behold the light of the world, to experience the new way, the truth, and the life, to enter into the life everlasting. If you want to know God, come and see Jesus. Jesus isn't just sitting around waiting for us to invite him into our lives. Instead, Jesus invites us into his With this come and see, Jesus includes us, you and me, into the very work of the Lamb of God. Now some people talk about how Jesus fills a God-sized hole in their lives. It's not really about that. It's about accepting that you are getting to fill the you-sized place that you can claim in God's family. The invitation's been there. It's up for you to receive that invitation, that full adoption into the family of God by accepting Christ's invitation that he offers through grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't act good enough on your own. It only comes by his grace that transforms us because of his love out of thankfulness. I heard Lenny and the band singing that last song for us this, this morning when they were rehearsing. And I realized, man, God, I didn't tell Lenny what I was preaching about, but you knew. I'm going to ask the, him to come forward and lead us in that song one more time. Where he leads, I will follow, because we're listening to the voice of God. And I want you to recognize that God is inviting you. He is calling you, come and see. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you've been searching and you haven't found. Maybe you've kind of had a hint and you're still tasting the waters. But Jesus just says, come and see. Come and see. If you want to know the blessings of God, it only comes first by making Him Lord and Savior. And so the altars are open, the front pews, or if, if just in your own heart, but I invite you to sing with us as we, as, before we enter into a time of prayer.